Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To my knowledge, only one Native American tribe in history has never surrendered or capitulated to the U.S. government. The Seminole Tribe of Florida, most specifically, one Seminole tribe. The Mikazuki Indians settled in the Everglades and held out until 1962, until they were legally acknowledged as a sovereign, domestic-dependent nation by the United States government. In order to learn more about this impressive native people, I traveled to the Everglades in South Florida to visit the Mikazuki Reservation. Among other things, I toured a mock traditional village for insight into the Mikazuki culture and history. My tour guide was named Troy Sanders. In the 1950s and before that, it was a real village and a real family stayed here. It was my family. My great-grandfather, Jimmy Tiger, he was a little brother to Buffalo Tiger. We're standing at the entrance to a mock native encampment, containing all of the buildings and features of a traditional Mikazuki community. To our right is a wooden, open-sided shelter, supported by large posts and covered with a woven grass roof. It almost looks like a kind of thatched cabana you might see in the Caribbean. These structures are called chickies. Now, Seminoles, Mikasukis, they're the only people in America that really have the open-sided chiki design because where you live is going to determine what you live in, what you eat, what you believe in. So we're really the only tribe that uses these in America. In the middle of this structure is an open fire and portable cooking surface covered in what looks to be a kind of bread. A native woman is kneading dough with her young daughter asleep beside her on a long log bench. This structure is known simply as the cooking chicky. The cooking chicky here, it's going to be the only one with these vents that let the smoke escape. It's pretty much the heart of every camp, of every family here. It's the headquarters. Now, besides breakfast, lunch, and dinner being made here, this is also where the big decisions are made. Because this is a, a matriarchal society here. That means the eldest lady is the head of every family here. It could be the mom or the eldest aunt or the grandma. So imagine um, you're from a different camp. 
had something important to speak about. They'll come here first because it's more than likely the boss is here. Now, the fire, every camp here, it just signifies the soul of every camp, meaning occupied or not occupied. Very simple. So every fire will always have four logs pointing out. It's important because they would face in every direction, east, west, north, south. This was very important. So in the 1800s, during the Seminole Wars, let's say a mother and her kids had to leave immediately due to encroaching danger, be it the U.S. Army or the Spanish. They would slightly move whichever logs, depending on which direction they fled to. So when the father came back to an empty chicken, he could just look at the fire, see which log had been moved, and he would know that they had flew in that direction. So it'd be his way of finding them. It's details like this that always amaze me when learning about ancient or indigenous peoples. This type of simple solution to a complex problem is as savvy and elegant as anything we come up with today. One of the roots the Mikazuki cook with is called kunta, which is actually poisonous until properly processed and treated. And one of the things they would do when being raided by an enemy is leave the untreated version of this plant out on their tables so that when people stole their food, they would be poisoned by it. And also coming back to the uh, junta, sometimes they would leave it untreated, unprocessed. So when people who came here would take everything, they would eat that and they get sick. And you guys are welcome to have this too. It's the fry bread. The bread was like a light pan-fried dinner roll. The typical sweetener for the Mikazuki would have been honey, which I added to mine. They go perfect with breakfast, lunch, dinner, even dessert too. You can put fruit filling in the middle. Alrighty, so that's the kitchen. This is the dining room slash living room. Please take a seat. We stepped in what was called the eating chicky, a structure nearly identical to the cooking chicky, apart from the absence of the fire. If the cooking chicky is the heart of every camp, the eating chicky is going to be the entry point for every camp. It's going to be the first place you'll go to when you don't have anything important to speak about. You just want to socialize. You'll come here first. See who's hanging out, see who's not hanging out. It has a very unspoken social significance, just like every other culture in the world, basically. You could always eat at home in your own chicky, but the eating chicky was like the local pub or bar where you might go hang out and socialize. We do have a clan system here. Laura, you met, she's bird clan. My clan is Douglasette. There's no English word for it. And there's panther clan, otter clan. Wind Clan, Big Town Clan. So we have an annual festival. It's not open to the public. It's about a week long. It happens every June, July. That's like our New Year's. So in Mikasiki speak, which I'll refer to as Elipongi, it's called Shibakshigi. And in English, that would translate to a green corn dance. Picture every clan, basically every family out there. We go out to the Everglades to a designated spot. Every clan is going to have their own camp consisting of their own system of chickies. So picture bird camp. Now picture my camp. Dogojet, panther clan, otter clan, wind clan, big town clan. Every clan with their own camps, all these families, on these chickies. Make a big circle. 
And in the middle of the circle, it's a big open grass field. That's where we do everything for the festival, a week-long festival. We'll play ball during the day. We'll dance at night. We'll do the ceremonies there. The reason I bring this up is because the eating chickie of every camp there is positioned in a way where every family's eating chickie has a perfect view of what's going on in the middle of the festival. So not only do you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner here, this is where you can take everything in. You can watch the ball game during the day. You can watch everyone dancing at night. You can watch the ceremonies. When your son reaches age 12, you can watch him leave his childhood name, get his adult name too. Once a boy reaches the age of 12 and the oldest woman in his family gives permission, he participates in the green corn dance. He undergoes a series of ceremonial challenges like fasting, sleep deprivation, and dancing. And if he completes these rituals, he becomes eligible for his adult name. Each year, at the end of the green corn dance, all the boys who have completed these rites of passage stand at the center of the gathering, in view of all the different family camps. The medicine man approaches each of them, providing them new adult names. And from that point forward, these boys are considered men by the rest of their tribe. Up next, we're going to meet Leo Jim. He's Bird Clan too, and he's the woodcarver here. Now here, traditions passed down from uncle to nephew. Please come on in. Leo Jim is seated at a large U-shaped crafts table, surrounded by some of his work. Hey, Leo. Leo is a great carver. He makes everything you see here from children's toys, to weapons for war, everyday tools for everyday use. Before you picture these toys, you should know that the Mikazuki have cable. They watch Game of Thrones, and they're Harry Potter fans, just like the rest of us. Those are Harry Potter wands. He made a Pokeball, somebody bought that. He made a Game of Thrones egg, somebody bought that. And right here is Cypress Knee. I'll get to that later. But he carved that into a wolf howling at the moon. And he makes weapons from other tribes too, like the Comanche. It's a gunstock war club. A gunstock war club is a style of Native American weapon based on the shape of a rifle or shotgun. In their battles with European settlers, Native warriors would hold captured rifles by their barrels and swing their wooden shoulder stocks as clubs. This weapon proved so effective, they began manufacturing just the wooden part of that weapon and outfitting it with stone balls or tomahawk heads. Everything you see here is made out of cypress trees. I'm sure you see a whole bunch of them out there. Cypress trees are these tall, skinny white trees. And he uses cypress tree, not just because of its abundance, but it's virtually waterproof and it's hard but soft enough where it can be manipulated easily to make what you see here. You might be most familiar with cedar wood from Cedar Shake Siding, common in the Northeast United States. The waterproof properties of this wood make an ideal surface in any place that deals with a lot of rain. I told you about a ball game we play during the festival. There is a tall, skinny cypress tree right in the center. Now it still has its bark on, except for near the top, where it is stripped clean and it's very high up there. So the game is called Poseki. Now you take your Poseki sticks, you take the ball, animal hide, Spanish moss, you toss it up there, 
as best you can. If you hit that spot, that's how you get a point. The game is played twice a day during the festival, and it's played men versus women, too. So every son, dad, grandpa from every clan at the festival versus every daughter, mom, grandma from every clan at the festival. The men use these, and the women use their bare hands, too. It's pretty rough and tumble, pushing, shoveling, tackling. It's hilarious seeing a dude just about to throw it, and then about five, six women just like, more him to hell. It's pretty funny. Unfortunately, this is not something you can find on YouTube. I asked, and then I looked. Either you are a member of the tribe, or you don't get to see it. The sticks are like small, flat lacrosse sticks, and the ball is like a flattened baseball, or a slightly rounded moon pie with one seam running through the middle. The outside is leather, and the inside is filled with Spanish moss. If you're not playing, you can watch from your Aiden Chicky. A really great game, there's going to be about 40 people. Average, not great game, maybe 12, 15, but still pretty fun to watch. Right here, this is my uncle. Troy's uncle was seated in his own open-sided Chicky at a table similar to the one in front of Leo. I asked if all nephews inherited their trades from their uncles. For the men, for the women, it's going to be a mom to daughter, like I said. So this is my uncle, Thomas. He makes all the toys in the store, all the bows and the spears. A couple of weeks ago, we had 150 kids from Homestead. As soon as the tour was over, they ran inside and bought everything and ran back out here and made a whole ruckus. It's pretty cool. I told you every camp is going to have one cooking chicky, one eating chicky, but they're going to have multiple sleeping chickies. The average size would be the four pillar or maybe the six pillar right here. And this right here, sleeping platform. People ask, is it the bed? No, it's the platform. The sleeping platform is a flat wooden surface elevated about halfway up the structure. The bedding itself would be made of either animal hide or tray cloth, and a canopy of bed sheets, about three feet tall, would be suspended from the roof to keep out mosquitoes. These hanging bed sheets would also add a sense of privacy to these open-sided structures. Usually, the sleeping platform is the same length and width of the chicky itself. Because you got to fit mom and dad's bed here, you got to fit the kids' bed here, and whatever else you don't want on the floor. Yeah, put it here too. And the reason why we use this open-sided house design for hundreds of years and they've been able to withstand hurricanes for hundreds of years is because when there's less things to break, like the more resilient something is. So after a hurricane, if one's built right, the most you would need to replace is maybe the roofing. I'm not saying they're indestructible, but they're known to withstand hurricanes. Not only that, but the roofing was made of tightly woven palm leaves which were completely watertight. I think it was like the 1920s or 1930s when we started getting hardware and really nailing them in. I mentioned to Troy that these chickies looked like the perfect place to be during a thunderstorm. Especially during the festival, like it will be raining and maybe your friends came over and you'll just be under the thing and all just talking and waiting out the storm. And Mega Sticky Boys learned to build these by age 12. Not usually uncle or grandpa or whoever comes and takes you to go build one and 
They even have a program in our school. Uh, his uncle or elders, they would come to the school and take us all out to the baseball field and show us how to make one of these. I asked how long it takes to make a single chickie. It depends on the number of people. Let's say four guys or five men could make a two-pillar one or a three-pillar one. It could take maybe four days. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Connecting all the different chickies is a wooden boardwalk. On our left is another craftsman making jewelry. Hey, Carl. This is Carl. He's Navajo. He's from Arizona. He's been with our tribe for about 30 years. And he's a silversmith here. So there's a vast big difference between Navajo jewelry and Mikasuki Seminole jewelry because when the Spanish came to the Navajo, they showed them how to work, really work with metal, manipulating metal, you know, that. So the big difference between Navajo jewelry and Mikasuki Seminole jewelry, they had all this knowledge to really manipulate the metal. See, we didn't get that, any of that knowledge in the 1800s. So we just took our silver coins and we would, break them down, and incorporate them into our beadwork. He also doesn't waste anything, too. The silver dust on his apron, he'll take that and he'll use that for the inlay in the background. So he makes sure not to waste it. I told you when we were at Leo's Chiki, I told you about the cypress knees. These are the roots growing out next to these cypress trees. A cypress knee, if you're trying to visualize it, is like a bony knob of tree root sticking up out of the ground. It almost looks like a pointy wooden mushroom or a stalagmite that you might find on the floor of a cave. The reason they call it a cypress knee back in the 1800s when traveling in waist-high water, you can't really see what's in front of you when you're walking and if you're lucky enough, you hit that. So that's why they call it cypress knee. It's like the ancient equivalent of stubbing your toe on a coffee table. Please step right in. I'm going to introduce you to somebody. Inside the main door of the visitor center is a gigantic, taxidermized alligator. This guy, his name's Tiny. 20 years ago when I was about a little boy, maybe 10 years old or something, me and my friends used to come here after school just to see Tiny. This is the biggest alligator that was ever captured and brought to these enclosures. Now, the average size you're going to see today, maybe five, six feet, 400 pounds, 500 pounds. This guy, who was twice that, close to 1,000, maybe 15, 16 feet. These guys, they don't stop growing until they die. So in captivity, they can live well past 100, but seeing how violent their lives are in the wild, they can reach maybe 30 or 50. And I'm sure y'all know these guys are basically dinosaurs. Their ancestry goes back 200 million years. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but those bumps right there on their back, that's they're like solar panels. That's why you see them basking in the sun all the time. That's how they get energy from the sun. So when they don't have that energy, they're just laying around or super lazy. These guys... They're also conscious breathers. How me and you, we don't have to think about breathing, we just do it. These guys, they have to remember to breathe. Like every breath is a conscious decision. It's very common for animals that breathe air but primarily live in water. 
it's a big advantage because if he gets into a fight, which they do quite often, let's say he goes unconscious in the water. If he goes unconscious in the water, he can't breathe in the water and he can't drown and he can't die. So it's a great advantage. People wonder how they sleep too. They do something called unihemispheric sleeping. So while they sleep, one side of the brain stays on while the other side sleeps. They switches until they have enough sleep. I think dolphins are the same way too. So these guys are always semi-conscious, and that means you literally can't sneak up on these. They're the loudest reptiles in the world. People, I think, can reach about 70 decibels or 60 decibels. Alligators reach about 90. They're also the only reptiles that take care of their young for about two years at a time. Right behind Tiny are a few mannequins and photographs with traditional Mikazuki dress. Which is probably quite different from what you're imagining. They look almost Middle Eastern, or like a combination of something Native American, and what you might see in a place like Syria or Turkey. When people think about most natives today, they think the beautiful Lakota feathers. But for us, in the 1800s, the men would grab four or five shawls, wrap it around his head tightly, and he had a turban. So we wore turbans. They would use it for everything: traveling, dancing, war. The man in the image is wearing a turban and leather pants. He's wearing animal hide leggings, but it was just common just to wear the long shirt itself and no shoes. And they would wear it with a belt and a sash. And these coats right here, they would call them the doctor's coat because often the medicine men wore them. As you might guess, this doctor's coat looks nothing like the white lab coats you're most familiar with. It's beaded. And has a more elaborate appearance than the other outfit we saw. Beside that image was an example of Mikazuki women's wear. This is pretty much what the ladies wore: so dress all the way down to the ground and long sleeve and with a shawl. So imagine wearing all of that with maybe ten, twenty necklaces and all the silverware. Now we're, picture wearing all of that in 1800s Everglades. Now traveling 15. Ten miles from one camp to another camp. This was daily. So today, they wear more forgiving dress, a little higher, relief from the heat and humidity, and a regular top. And now all of that is still worn, but it's really saved for festivities and special occasions. And this shawl wasn't just for looks too; that protect against mosquitoes. One of the things that has always impressed me about Native American culture is the way they combine looks with utility. They seem to have a knack from one tribe to the next for really ingenious practical solutions that are also really interesting to look at. The shawls in these images are just one more example of that. We've always used designs that we saw in nature. You're going to see designs based on. Fire, and this one's supposed to be a man on a horse. Of everything I've seen here today, this coded language of colorful symbols in these shirts might be my favorite. Picture a patchwork quilt, but with very small squares, and with each square containing a symbol that has a deeper meaning within the Mikazuki tradition. But the most popular design you see today is going to be called a double diamond. The only thing I can really equate it to, maybe a kaleidoscope, because that's you don't really see that in nature. But like everything else here, thunder right here and rain, 
turtle. I think a crawdad. Like I said, we use things we saw in nature, but we also started using things when the world around us was changing. Telephone pole. Across the room from the clothing is a table of finely woven sweet grass baskets. These baskets here, of course, serve a utilitarian purpose. We used to store everything in them clothes, and we would even line them up with animal hide to transport water or food. Now, one of these can take about three weeks to make. They're made out of sweet grass, palmetto, sawgrass. Now today, you would see these in your grandma's house next to the door, maybe as a kibo, something like that. I wish these were brand new because when they're finished, that sweet grass is, smells great. I picked up a few of these bowls, and the weave is so tight, they feel like they're carved from wood. Even without a lining of animal hide, they feel like they would hold water. Beside the baskets on the table, were a row of handmade dolls. Of course, in every culture, toys are important. Every kid needs them, so these are called fiber dolls. Now, we would use these out of the fiber of the palm trees. Now, the ladies' dolls would consist of one piece because it's very consistent with the dress and the shawl. And they used to take scraps of patchwork and put it on here. I asked how much it would cost to buy a traditional quilted Mikazuki jacket. Our seamstress, Mini Tigertail, she's Panther Clan. She can make a jacket like that with the inlay and everything, depending on the weather. She's doing it by herself. It can take her about a month to finish it because it takes cutting and sewing and cutting and sewing. It could be $500 for that jacket. I've been trying to get a mannequin so I can show people the little intricacies of the man's outfit. Like the neck scarves they would wear, they kept all their money in there. Whatever money they had, they would just keep it in there. I learned this from a government census from the 1880s written by Clay Macaulay or something. And he came to the Everglades from Washington and did a whole census on Seminoles and Mikasukis. And him, one of the men he was talking to, he had a shawl around his neck and that's where he kept all of his money in. And Whatever money he had, it was like that kind of system, just everything in his neck scarf. And he asked them, like, why don't you guys have pockets, like CDs? Like, I have pockets right here. And they really just shunned it off as unnecessary. Yesterday, we had Liberty Academy here, and it was it was like a primarily like black school. I was talking to their parents after the tour, and I was saying, like, I wish we had more here, because there's black history here, too. I asked what kind of black history he was referring to. So in the 1800s, when escaped slaves came to Spanish Florida and away from that, they started their own factions and they even integrated into Seminole. There's the black Seminoles and they fought alongside in the Seminole Wars. If you'd like to know more about the Seminole and the Mikazuki peoples, I'd encourage you to start by reading about the history of the Seminole Wars. There were three of them, and they lasted more than 40 years. Today, they're remembered as the most expensive of all Native American wars. The Mikazuki, at least, never surrendered. If you have any questions or would like to connect with a member of the tribe, please reach out, and we can help make that happen.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.